When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylobiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Cara. We get a lot of questions on social media, especially DMs from listeners asking specifically about their kids' burgeoning desires, those middle school crushes, the teen flirtations, future sexual partners, current sexual partners, first loves, lack of first loves. We, we get a lot of questions about this whole topic of romance and desire and sex and sexuality. And while the questions themselves tend to be singular and specific, they, when you take them as a whole, cover a massive range of physical and emotional topics. And it feels like as we head into summer, when kids are going to be meeting new people, having new experiences, maybe they have new freedoms, maybe they're with us, maybe they're not with us it feels like it would be helpful to talk through all of these various issues in the context of being the adult in the room, the caretaker, the safe person, the parent. And we are going to talk about this moment or these moments in time. We're not going to share stories about our own 
kids' romantic lives or sex lives. And that's by design. And that's for two reasons. One, because we don't have permission from our kids to do that. We would never tell a story they didn't let us tell. Right. So we don't share anything. We don't have permission. But two, because we want to model what it looks like to have something exciting or complicated or joyful and to have to practice keeping it to ourselves and not sharing it with the outside world or you know, to the general public. So that is by design. So if we say we or our, that really means our universal we and our and not one of our children. So let's jump into it. I think let's start, I'm ready. And I want to start with kind of the sweetest, most innocent version of desire, romance, crushing, having feelings, catching feelings. That's a new phrase that we didn't have when we were kids. And that's the kind of grade school, early middle school crushes and dating. And we've talked about this before. We talked about this on the episode about talking to tweens about sex, because one of the things that people assume about tweens and sometimes teens is that they're all like once they have romantic feelings, they want to start being sexually active or physical with the other person. And that's not always the case. Often kids are really excited to have those butterflies in their stomach and the special feelings without actually acting on them. And that might mean not acting on them sexually. That might mean not acting on them like not actually going anywhere with the person they like, not going to the movies or to Starbucks, maybe just like they're happy to FaceTime with them or talk to them on the phone. And I think it's really important for all of us to remember that it's sometimes just very sweet and innocent and very simple. Yeah, because remember, some kids are not ready for that yet. They're not even... They just have crushes, which is the first toe in the water of romantic feelings of romantic relationships, right? So that's one group of them is not ready. Another group might be a little more ready, but not interested with this person. And what a great moment for the adults in the situation to be able to shine a light on, hey, for the rest of your life, there might be someone who's interested in you, who you might not be interested in, and that's okay. But it opens up a huge can of worms because it opens up the need for conversations around how do you gently let someone down, right? How do you identify how you feel? How do you separate out that it makes you feel good that someone likes you versus it makes you feel good to be with that person in any capacity, whether it's just in sort of naming boyfriend, girlfriend, or something more. So these are all those entry-level conversations, but there really are two groups. And one is the group that are sort of too young, whatever that means for any given kid to be ready. And then another much bigger, longer lasting group is the group that's just saying at this moment, the person who is interested in me is not someone for whom I, I feel the same way. And there is that, (laughs) that middle school phenomenon of like going out with someone for like two days or like a week And it was like, that was a relationship and you didn't go anywhere or do anything. You just knew that you liked each other for that short period of time. And then it was like over. And that was, that was your relationship. And I think we don't want to 
marry our kids off in, you know, 14 seconds flat and assume that this is like a long committed relationship. And we also, I believe... Especially especially when they pick the, the best kid in the group and you're like, oh, great. I, I love this kid. Oh, okay. They, I'm good. They can, you know, and they're 12. Right. Like, but I know this is going to be a great human. Who cares? They're 12. So we want to make space for our kids to have this journey. I mean, one thing for parents is often... They assume if their kid is having romantic feelings and they are requited and they're young, you know, like fifth, sixth grade, the parents are concerned that it's too young or too early because often there's an association between romantic feelings and sexual behavior. And one of the greatest ways to make sure that your kid is only doing things they feel comfortable doing is to actually talk about it. And that means saying, hey, I noticed that you and -and so-and-so have been hanging out a lot lately and like, you know, on FaceTime a lot, I'm wondering what's going on. And you may have the kid who gives you the hour long lecture on the history of their relationship. And you may have the kid who might say nothing and you'll have everything in between. Car, I'm sure you don't have any experience with any of those situations. I'm just laughing because you used the word requited, which is a great word. And we always use the word unrequited, like, you know, something that you desperately want and you can't get when talking about relationships or sex. No one ever uses requited. I like that. You flip this into sort of the active. I'm trying to eliminate the universal heartbreak of middle school. I'm trying to put a positive spin on it. So if our kids are actually hanging out with someone or talking to someone, it's a great opportunity to begin the conversation about you guys may decide that you want to spend time together. You may decide that, you know, you have special feelings. I mean, it's, and then you take it from there. I mean, a quick vocab moment. Let's pause it. When a kid in your life says they're hanging out with someone, this is a great moment to ask them what that means. Because there's hanging out and there's hanging out. And And they change over time. And so what might, you know, hanging out might mean one thing to a 10-year-old and another thing to a 12-year-old and another thing to a 16-year-old. So if you're confused by the nature of the relationship to begin with, frankly, your, your kids may be very confused by the nature of the relationship as well. But if you're confused, ask for a definition of terms. And that might sound like, you know, when I was your age, hanging out meant X, but I'm wondering if it means the same thing now. And then they can laugh in your face and tell you that it does not mean that now. It means something utterly different and also that you're old and lame. I know that we promised five minutes ago that we were not going to tell tell stories about our kids. (laughs) And I'm not going to tell a story about my kids, but I am going to tell a story about my mother. Oh, mothers are fair game. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) We'll see if she's listening to this episode based upon the email response. My mom uses the phrase going with. Oh, yes. Is a very time-stamped phrase. It's like very, makes it very clear you were born between the years of, you know, yaddy and yaddy. And it's a boomer phrase, just in case I'm being too subtle. It's a boomer phrase. And, and my kids love to ask her about that. They love to talk about the language going with versus going out with versus dating. I find that very sweet and charming and opens the conversation. And it's the reverse of exactly what you're talking about, which is, you know, just like Gen Z and Gen Alpha have their own meanings to these words. So too, 
do the older generations. And it's kind of a fun thing to ask people what dating was called and then what it looked like and what it meant in their time. I mean, you know, to have, if, if kids are lucky enough to have grandparents in their life, they can ask those grandparents about writing letters to people that they were interested in. It's hard enough to imagine life without text, but can you imagine love life when it was dependent upon the postal service? I'm not sure how, I feel like my parents would either be too honest or completely dishonest about their... parents would be too honest. (laughs) Right, fair enough. Based on prior experience, you can say my parents would be too honest. Correct. So what is it? Okay, here's a question. What does it mean when a when a middle schooler says they're going out with someone, and then the adult asks a clarifying question, which is, "Hey, when you say going out with, what do you mean? Do you mean, you know, have you had any physical contact? Have you been kissing? Do you hold hands? No, no, none of that. We're just going out. So there's no physical, but they they want the label and they like the the sort of social connect that connection right the the umbrella of a connection they feel connected to this person and in in many cases not all um that person feels connected with them so what does that conversation look like Vanessa for parents to figure out what going out with can mean at the youngest ages and when is how young is too young we get this question a lot yeah we get this question a lot for basically every topic we cover and the The short answer is it's up to you and there's no universal rule about how young is too young. However, you can gauge according to your kid and where they are developmentally. And that's not necessarily by age or grade. That may just be who your kid is. So for instance, is your kid able to speak up for themselves and talk about like, What happens if someone hurts their feelings or someone treats them poorly or treats them unkindly? Are they able to, you know, protect their own bodily autonomy and also listen to somebody else protect their body, right? Or do you have a kid who's constantly like grabbing, touching, doing all this stuff regardless of gender and has trouble hearing when someone else says, hey, get off of me. So those are a couple of things that we see in younger kids, like this sort of grade school kids where they're still working out some of those boundaries and some of those kind of kindness issues. And you want to make sure that when they're in a relationship with somebody else, that they're respecting those boundaries. Well, you you want to, and you need to. We've talked on this podcast about consent. We've talked about it in the context of respect. We've talked about it in the context of the law. You know, parents who have kids who don't know boundaries should not feel anxious about that in terms of romantic relationships, but they should feel that they need to address it because as kids move into an age range where they will develop crushes and desires and romantic feelings, those kids need to have been told in many different ways over many different years where the boundaries are. Frankly, All kids need to understand that, but especially kids who have demonstrated an inability to really identify boundaries in subtle ways. Those are kids who really benefit from having the adults in their lives call that out gently, but repeatedly and clearly. And one of the challenges that happens with middle school kids up through teenage years is they're like 
goddamn lawyers. Like they're constantly negotiating and they're like trying to wear you down and convince you to change your mind or break your own rules or do something that you don't want to do. And that's a concern when they are in a relationship with somebody else that they're going to use that sort of persistent negotiating when someone isn't comfortable, you know, going somewhere or doing something in a relationship with them. And so one of the things we have to help our kids do is understand that sometimes things are not a negotiation. And when somebody puts down a rule or a perspective and they're like, this is it, that you say to your kid, this is non-negotiable. And when someone says it's non-negotiable, you got to listen to them. Yeah. But there's another piece to it, which is peer feedback is so much more powerful in yes. many ways than adult feedback. So I I have seen over and over, I remember in my own life, but I have seen in my professional life so many times where an adult will say something, this is not, you know, this person doesn't like you. This is what they're saying with this behavior, whatever. And then finally the kid says, this is not okay. I am not interested in this. I don't like you in this way. I just want to be friends. And boy, it takes very few words from one kid to another to make the same point and make it really, really clearly. And actually the, the concern there is sometimes that the pendulum is going to swing the other way, right? That, that the recipient of that very blunt information is going to feel hurt. And as horrible as that is, and we can all flash back to plenty of times in our life where we have felt that hurt, so long as they can come talk to someone about their hurt, that's the lesson of love in life is this sort of back and forth of, of making yourself vulnerable and sharing how you feel. And then oftentimes hearing that someone feels differently or someone that timing is off or whatever it is, and it hurts. And we are in a moment in, in the world when mental health is feels so precarious. Our kids have handled so much there's so much written about their emotional fragility that it's very scary to think about them getting romantically hurt because they already feel very, very vulnerable. And so the, the best protection that you can give your kid is not necessarily even the lecture about what another kid might be saying to them or how, how someone might feel about the work, but just that I'm here for you if you ever want to talk about it. If things go your way, I'm here. If things don't go your way, I'm here. Because it, it is scary to see your kids get hurt. And they, and they will romantically. Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere. So we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra, and it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. 
Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding, which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their Umbra's. It's why we say that the Umbra may be your first bra, but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your Umbra, plus lots of other puberty info at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors Ready to Eat Meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our Factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order... Go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at bioptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. 
Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal, and even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter, and fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Let's talk about heartbreak because it's real and it's very tempting as adults who are 30 years down the road from our first heartbreak to dismiss it or tell our kids to get over it or tell them it's not such a big deal. And the truth is that it does feel like a big deal and it is a big deal to them and telling them to get over it or that it will get better soon or one day they won't ever remember it. A, they will always remember it just as we all remember our first heartbreak. And B, invalidating their feelings doesn't make it go away any faster. It just means they're not going to come talk to you about their feelings. And we want... How many songs are written about heartbreak? How many, right? How many movies are about heartbreak? It's, you know... And how wonderful does it feel to listen to a song about heartbreak when your heart is broken? And how much can you still remember decades later... The anthem. That song, the <laughs> anthem, the many, I mean, 80s rock anthems are just about my favorite thing ever. So if you have a kid going through heartbreak, which at some point, sadly, you will, if they are and venturing it's horrible. out, it's horrible. Oh. And it's so horrible. It's so hard to watch as a parent. And we need to just let our kids know we are here for them. And we're here to talk. This is not the moment to say to your child, I never liked that kid. I knew it wasn't going to work out. That kid sucks. He's such a bad kid. She's such a mean. They're so awful, right? Not helpful. For two reasons. One, it doesn't make their heartbreak any less. And two, they might very well get back together with that person next week. And then you've said... Especially if you say that. Especially if you say it. And then you've <laughs> said it all to them. And then they're either going to do get back together because you said that or because the relationship's going to run its course. But now they know that you think all these awful things about this kid. So you got to hold back. There are some fun strategies. <laughs> oh God, here we go. To sell this, but there are some fun strategies that people can use to get through heartbreak. And kids have taught me a lot of amazing tools. One that I love, I knew a kid who before they entered their first romantic relationship had already figured out what they were going to do when they broke up. Wow. And that's fatalistic. 
well, but or realistic. So this kid made a movie list of all the movies that they wanted to watch that had to do with heartbreak. And then there was a second movie list that was all like the great mobster, thriller, dark, you know, everything from, I don't remember, Die Hard to The Godfather to whatever. And these were the two lists to choose from. And this kid had no way of anticipating which path was going to feel right to go down. So there were two options. There was like the rom-com heartbreak version that they could wallow in, or there was the total opposite. And then at the bottom of the list, which was the most amazing list, it was a list of ice cream flavors. Oh my God, that's eaten. brilliant. Isn't that's it great? Brilliant. Yes. And I just thought that is very smart thinking. Lots of planning there. I want to option that movie, actually. The 10 <laughs> ice cream flavors of heartbreak. And I will say, I have started a book, but I'm like a pathetic number of pages through it called Bittersweet by Susan Cain, who wrote the book Quiet. And it's all about the role of melancholy and sorrow and that sort of the importance of those emotions in in the great spectrum of our emotional lives, the sort of the agony and the ecstasy and the importance of those two balancing aspects. And I heard her on Aliza Pressman's podcast. And when she was talking, all I could think about is how wonderful and painful it felt to listen to those songs while your heart was broken or you were mooning over someone. Like there is something when you look at your kid and they're wallowing in their heartbreak and you're like, oh, for God's sakes, just get over it and get up out of your room and go shower. Sometimes there is something like really wonderful about that experience of having that that first moment. Now, if it persists and you're concerned and we're going on two weeks, that is when you turn to mental health provider because that's no longer just enjoying the melancholy. That's something to be concerned about. Right. And just to add to that, a slightly different way of framing it. You cannot live life's high highs without enduring life's low lows. It's the rare human who has the experience of skating through life and only feeling the highs and not feeling the lows. And so helping our kids through the pain of the lows and acknowledging that it's real. They really feel that way. What that does is that actually also acknowledges that the highs feel that way because sometimes some adults poo-poo the relationship itself too. Oh, you're not in love. Oh, right. you don't feel right. this way, right? And that's that too is not super helpful when you're trying to then have a connected and open conversation with your kid. I mean, when we go to the extreme, and I want to talk about romance as it goes from sort of that younger non-physical to a more physical romance. But, you know, if we want to talk for a second about sex, well, most parents really hope that their kids will be honest and open with them about when they become sexually active. If, if our gut response is to deny that they feel the way they feel, whether it's high, high or low, low, it's sometimes hard for them to then open that door with us about a topic like sex, which is so deeply connected with those types of feelings. The kids get a little bit older. They are, you know, going to parties or hanging out with each other at 
you know, in bedrooms or in homes with the doors closed or, you know, when no one's home. I mean, there's all sorts of of variations and permutations. And we hear from a lot of parents who say, I don't know what to do. I know things are progressing, but I think they're too young to have sex or I think they're too young to insert whatever activity that parent is worried about. What advice? I did not know where you were going with that sentence. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, it's like, are they too young to share a bedroom on vacation? Are they too young to take a road trip together? You know, there's a million ways in which we worry about our kids' safety when there are no longer adults around them. How do we do that? Right. What are some tips about how the adults in the room are the adults actually outside the closed door? Which is more like it. How do those adults help kids stay safe and and healthy and happy in the context of relationships that are transitioning towards more and more physical? It's a very, very tiny wire of a tightrope that we are walking. Because if we think about our episode with Shafia Zaloom, where she talks about talking to teens about sex. It's not our job to teach our kids about sexual activities, how to do stuff or, you know, what it looks like or what it sounds like or any of that. But we do need to give them information so that they can be safe and respectful and hopefully loving. And I think in the episode with her, she talked a lot about basing those conversations in your family's values. And I don't mean family values like Bush era family values. I mean like the values of your family that you over the years have tried to inculcate into your kids. So whether that's, you know, mutual respect, whether that's kindness, whether that's open communication, whatever it is, all the stuff that you say to your kids and they roll their eyes and shrug their shoulders and slump down in their seats and endure your lecture or my lecture. So too is a sexual relationship based in that. So for our kids, we might say, hey, I notice you guys are like, together a lot. You're in your room or the other person's room. And I don't know if you feel like talking about it, but I just was wondering if you had any questions about what's going on in your relationship and if things are at a point where you need some information from me. Another way of saying it might be, I've noticed you're spending a lot of time together or in your room or, and just stop there. If oh, you don't know so much what, good, better at stopping and waiting than I am. No, on this podcast, I am. In <laughs> real life, I am not. I really am not. And there are two people who can attest to that. But we're not talking about them today. But I do think that sometimes that question is not asked because an adult doesn't really know the question they want to ask. And this would be an instance where I think it's okay to make the observation and let the question go unasked. And if you're making the observation in a non-judgmental way, we we harp on the non-judgmentalism here on this podcast. I mean, every episode we talk about it, it's because how you frame your comments, the delivery is everything. And so if all you're doing is taking note of something and then you let your child or the child in your life fill in the gap with, Oh, are you wondering about this? I mean, some kids will come and say, are you wondering if we're having sex? Are you wondering what's going on? Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. You can answer that question. The notion that this is a one-way dialogue needs to be taken off the table. This is a conversation. And when it comes to relationships, both physical and non-physical, kids have as much say in this conversation as adults. 
They know how they feel. We do not know how they feel. And so the the back and forth, the give and take of this conversation is so important that I think you actually can float the what you're seeing and then just wait. I'll practice that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you a question. We got a DM from a listener whose child is dating someone that the parent is really unhappy about because she has read texts from the other child in DMs. She has heard things about this child. She has witnessed things. And the other child, not her kid, but the one her kid is is dating, has values that don't sit well in the in the context of their family. And she is trying to figure out how to handle it. And I'm it's hard because if we push them and we say you're not allowed to date this person, they might turn around and enter a four-year relationship with that person just to spite us and piss us off. If we say nothing, it's kind of like unspoken consent to, you know, putting our heads in the sand to allow this to continue because our kids sure know that we know eventually that they're doing stuff we've asked them or told them not to. So again, it's this weird middle ground of not like pushing your kid into something even worse because we're standing our ground, but also not being so quiet that we can't express our concern or value. So I don't know, Cara, how would you handle that? It's interesting as you were speaking, I found myself trying to figure out, were you flagging something that worried you in terms of verbal, emotional, or physical abuse? Or was it just, you know, like the kid? You just didn't, you don't like how they treat people. You don't know, you don't like the language they're choosing. It's not respectful, right? Two different versions that of the same conversation, one of which leads to a very dark, scary place. Yeah. Another of which generally doesn't, I guess could, but generally doesn't. And so I think that's where parents must use both their intuition and their language skills. They have to figure out, am I intuiting that my kid is going to be unsafe in this dynamic? And and if so, there's a certain number of things that parent must do. And it begins with telling your child you're worried about Mm. their health and safety. And that might require another adult to help you have that conversation. It might require a therapist or pediatrician or somewhere, someone to help you navigate that conversation. But then there's a whole other camp that just, no, it's, it's not that. It's just that this other kid rubs me the wrong way. I don't, I don't like them. And then you have to begin to ask yourself as the adult in the situation, do I not like everyone? <laughs> you know, am I that person? <laughs> Is everyone glass half empty? Is it something about this kid in particular? Is it that this kid is romantically involved with my kid? And is that going to be a hang up for me? You know, you sort of have to explore why is this your response to this kid? And if it's the words that the kids are are using and the the tone and the the way that you sort of think things are rolling out, again, I mean, I don't see a path through these types of situations without lots of conversation. But they may need to be mediated conversations because we often, I mean, listen, 
we talk on this podcast all the time about how we screw up parenting. We screw up parenting around things we know, basic facts and figures that we know. We certainly screwed up more around things that we don't, places where we feel uncomfortable. And this tends to be a territory where parents and, and adults are highly uncomfortable. They're reading a text in your scenario. They're reading a text. Okay, so that's not a medium they grew up with. And tone can be completely misunderstood on text. They're getting a snippet, a part of a conversation. They're getting what they see on text, not what's happening on social media, not what's happening in school, not what's happening on an actual telephone call, not, right? It's just one corner of it. So there's just, I think it's impossible to give advice without the first piece of advice being pull the lens back. What are you worried about? Number one. And what are your biases? Number two. And talk to another adult about these things. Don't talk to your kid about them. Like make sure you talk to your kid second, right? Yes. Make sure you go through your own process with another adult before you dive in with your kid. And hopefully you're not diving in with your kid. Hopefully you're like gently taking it step by step into the pool. I want to offer up the inverse of what we've been talking about, right? We've been talking about relationships with emotions and they progress and then maybe they become more sexual. We may or may not like the kid's partner. We want to, you know, they want to be in a relationship fine. What happens if our kids are having sex or hooking up and there is no relationship, but we know that there is, you know, a person that they are sexually involved with, but there's no evidence of anything beyond that. Is it our responsibility to say something? Do we just let it slide? Do we, is this a moment to inject some of our values that we hope they'll have meaningful, loving relationships? What do we do in this situation? The annoying part of this podcast is that the advice is see prior five. <laughs> right. So there are two steps. Ib- Ibid. To, Ditto. Ibid. <laughs> there are two steps to managing it. And one is to assess the situation. Are you worried about your kid's safety? What biases are you bringing to it? Are you worried about reputation? Are you worried about consent issues? Are you worried about STIs and STDs? Are you right? So there's understanding where you're coming from and what your perspective is, is a big piece of this, right? And then the other is understanding who your kid is and where they're coming from. There's, you know, I I think it's very dangerous for parents to, to write off sexual experimentation as sort of something that's bad or negative when it's not in the context of a deep and meaningful relationship, because that's simply not realistic. Vanessa, you often in interviews with experts that we bring in, you will often frame your questions by saying, let's get real here. Mm. Let's talk about what really happens with kids. So in the context of relationship, we have to get real here. It is extraordinarily common, typical, I would use the word normal, for kids to have sexual experimentation outside of the confines of a formal dating relationship. And if you're the adult in the situation and that makes you acutely uncomfortable, I think you have to go figure out where, where you can find comfort in that before you start talking to your kid about it because that is 
a a very common path through the adolescent years. It is not the only path through, but it is one very, very common path through. Kids will say that sometimes they hook up with people to see if they like them and they're compatible and then maybe they'll be in a relationship with them. But it's like the order of things for some kids has changed. And it's an acceptable kind of sequencing these days to be sexually involved with someone without a committed relationship. And then maybe it progresses into something more or maybe it doesn't. But to Cara's point, please see our episode on talking to teens about sex to hear more about talking to teens about sex, regardless of the commitment level of their relationship. You need to be in conversation with your kid if you think your kid is having sex or getting to the point where they're having sex. Are we going to do a whole episode about masturbation? We are. We are. And so we will go into great detail on how to manage this piece of very, very normal human development and appropriate normal human development. We're going to talk about that on another podcast. So that with that cliffhanger, we're going to sign off because it's too good. This was fun, Cara. Thank you. Thanks, Vanessa. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at the puberty podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.